Welcome to the AP Podcast. This is Mike Shea. My guest today is Alexander, or you want it, Alex? Which one do you want it? You pick, man. All right. Um, um, Bob DeLeon, <laughs> lead singer and founding member of the group The Cab. Born on April 8th, 1989, the 22-year-old suburban Las Vegas native is currently on tour with his group promoting their second and long-awaited release, Symphony Soldier, that came out in August 2011. It is the band's first self-released effort. It's a partnership with their management company since departing from their longtime label Fueled by Ramen, Decadence, a few months prior to its release. Produced by John Feldman, the album is the group's poppiest and catchiest to date, with partnering up penmanship from boys like girls Martin Johnson, Pete Wentz, Maroon 5's Adam Levine, and Bruno Mars on the song Endlessly. The band's website is thecabrock.com, and Alex's Twitter is Alexander De Leon, and that's D-E-L-E-O-N, in case you don't like you. Anyway, um, it is a pleasure it's to a finally have you here, man. We've talked about doing this forever and ever. We have, and you did your research. I don't yeah. even think I knew that much about myself. <laughs> well, I haven't even started, my friend. <laughs> I haven't even started. So the last time that uh, we probably spoke... Um, a uh, number of, it was actually maybe it was six months ago or so. Um, you were you were going to go out very soon and hang out with Justin Timberlake. So, um, for all of the common people out there, um, give me two things that people would not expect, uh, like they would they wouldn't ever think about Justin Timberlake. Well, me being a huge Justin Timberlake fan, I know my you know preconceived notions, I guess, about him. So, um, just realizing how normal he is and how he could easily be in our group of friends. You know what I mean? We were just joking. We were talking about life and music. And, um, you know, for a brief moment, it was like I wasn't in a band and he wasn't Justin Timberlake. You know, we were just guys talking about music and um, just hearing him talk about Adele and how big of a fan he is of Adele and um, talking about the Grammys and, you know, how he thinks she's just going to completely sweep everything, obviously. Um, it was just really cool to know that he's a fan of music. Um, and another thing that's, it's very surprising about Justin is before I met Justin, I'm like, okay, like his influences have to be Michael Jackson and Earth, Wind and & Fire and Stevie Wonder. And yes, I mean, those are very big influences on him. But after talking to him, um, his favorite artist or, or group is the Eagles. And I would have never in a million years have thought that Justin Timberlake's biggest influence would be Don Henley and, you know, the Eagles. And he's just talking, he was doing sound check and he... Uh, his sound check was him on guitar playing Hotel California and singing it. It wasn't him doing Billie Jean or it wasn't Isn't She Lovely by Stevie Wonder, which I would have expected. It was, no, I'm going to get on acoustic and I'm just going to play some Hotel California. So that was very, very cool for me to be able to see and just to learn about him because just being one of my idols, it's very cool to see the background and just to get to know, dig a little deeper, you know, into him. Uh, and you do have his, you do, you can text him when you want to. Um, Are you on that kind of level with it? I'm not that kind of level. I'm okay. not going to lie and say that we, uh, we're super bros or anything, you know. But, but I'm sure you're friends on MySpace, so that's good. that's important. eHarmony. We're eHarmony e friends. eHarmony? Yeah. Okay. That's we, we chat on eHarmony. You've moved and, up. Yes. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> you, you actually... Uh, Henderson, Nevada, mm -hmm. is actually... is That's where you went to high school, but did you actually live in Henderson when you went to high school? I did. Okay. Well, it's, it's weird. It's Las Vegas and Henderson are kind of the same thing. You know how it is. Right. It's like there's one street that separates the two, but it's, it's still all Las Vegas. Right. Exactly. So uh, I was reading up on Henderson and, uh, and it seems to be, if I'm correct, a lot of the, some of the, some of the celebrities that perform in Vegas a lot of the time live out in Henderson. Mm -hmm. So some of the people that have supposedly have lived there, um, they've got, let me see here, Marie Osmond 
Celine Dion's lived out there. Tony Braxton, Brandon Flowers from The Killers has lived there. Um, Flavor Flav, um, <laughs> Flavor Flav. Tanya Tucker, Tony mm-hmm. Curtis used to live there. Uh, was it? Was that? Uh, how did you like living in Henderson when you were a kid? Do you, do you, was it a you pleasant know, experience? Growing up, I split um, my time between uh, Henderson, Nevada, and a little place called Lodi, California. Sure. Um, my parents divorced when I was six months old, so my whole life I kind of always had two families. You know, I'd go, um, I think up until second grade, I lived with my mom, and then second through eighth grade, I lived with my dad, and then high school, I moved back with my mom. So to me, Henderson and Vegas, that was the big city. That was like... I. My whole life, I've just loved Las Vegas, and I've loved big cities and bright lights. So living in Lodi, where my neighbors... I didn't have neighbors. I had wineries surrounding me. So as a kid, I'd, I would just run through the vineyards and like pick grapes and just do stupid stuff because that's all I had to do. Um, and then in my last year living in Lodi, it was a huge deal that they built a movie theater. It was like, oh my God, there's going to be a movie theater in our town. This is amazing. Like... I get to do something, you know. There's and they'll have colored movies. Exactly, there'll be right. colored movies and, and sound and sound and maybe even popcorn. And <laughs> um, so that was really cool. But moving to Vegas, it was definitely the big city for me. And looking back on it, moving to Vegas was the best thing I ever did because if I would have stayed with my dad, not that I don't love my dad, but I mean, how far is a band really going to get coming out of Lodi, California? There's not a venue. It's extremely hard um, to get out of there. So I think moving to Vegas was. The best thing I've ever done as far as kickstarting my life and my career. What was the earliest? So if you were so if you were in Lodi that 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 much, <clears throat> when was when was your earliest music musical experience? Like like were you given a guitar at four and, and like that kind of thing? Um, well, my dad actually has uh, has always been a singer. Um, he was in a bunch of groups and a bunch of bands my whole life, and my dad's mother um, is like famous in Mexico, her and her twin sister are like on the oldie stations, you know, on like the, the Mexican Spanish what was, stations. What's her name? What's her name? Um, well, Angela. I mean, I know it's, it's, I don't know what her sister's group, you know, it's the, right. it was a group name. I don't know what the group name was, but, um, down in like Jalisco and Guadalajara, like, um, they're very big. And then, like I said, my dad just growing up was always singing. Like my first memory of life is my dad singing Sinatra to me. Like that's, I don't remember anything before that, just him holding me as like a child and singing Sinatra and then growing up, going to my dad's concerts and watching him sing. But I never wanted to be a singer. I was never the type of guy that's like, when I grew up, I'm the lead singer of a band. Um, I always just wanted to be like my dad, you know, subconsciously maybe being a singer, but I just wanted to be my dad. I always looked up to my dad. Um, He was always my hero. I never wanted to be um, anybody in the movies or TV. I was always, I always looked up to my dad. So growing up, when I became a singer, it was just very ironic. And but I guess I was like destined to happen. You know what I mean? Like I guess my my mom and dad met at one of my dad's shows, and it's just like I am a product of the life that I live. It's pretty crazy. So was there was there? Did you have your own Sinatra? Like once you you kind of I guess became a little bit more of age, and there was a singer that you heard on the radio, or you had you got a. I don't know at that time of, of you know a CD yeah it would have been a CD mm-hmm. um, that you went I have to do that. Um, the first time I ever really wanted to be in a band or start a band was I went and saw Incubus as my first rock show, and I saw Brandon Boyd and I was like I want to be Brandon Boyd. I grew out my hair just like Brandon Boyd's. In school I'd get bored in middle school so I'd get red like Sharpie. And I would just draw designs on my arms because he had those red, you know, he has like right. those red tattoos. 
So I would literally draw red designs on my arm and um, that time what album was it? It was either Science or, or Morning View. It was one of those, those mm -hmm. all those albums I just loved. And um, yeah, I guess Incubus. Um, and then obviously getting into Blink-182 and, and you know those bands started getting massively successful around that time. But Incubus was the first newer band. I, my dad always raised me on Queen. I loved Queen. My dad listened to Ben Folds 5, Green Day. Green Day was probably the first rock album that I loved because my dad loved it. Um, but other than that, like I said, Incubus was the first band that I really just saw in concert and it changed my life. So what, do you remember specifically, I mean, the, the story that's, that's stated is, you know, they always kind of the same thing. And then they met and then they started playing together and then mm -hmm. they made demos. So do you remember where you met Cash? Colligan, it was, like, it was your buddy at the time. That's what the whole band kind of came out of. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, the way me and Cash met were, um, we were completely different people in high school. We had different friend groups, and we hated each other. All right, we were, all right, so stop there. So what group were you in? What clique? Well, Which I played clique? I played sports in high school. So, so I, I hung so baseball, out. Baseball, right? Basketball. Basketball. Ba basketball and tennis. Um, and so I kind of hung out with the athletes a lot, but at the same time I did broadcasting, which was kind of not nerdy, but you know, kind of just the kids that did their own thing and that were into the arts and I was in photography class, so I, I kind of hung out with everyone. I mean, I, I I got really good grades, so I was in all the you know AP and honors classes. So I did hang out with that group as well. But Cash was in the, I guess I don't care about anything kind of group. You sure. know, the popular kids. I was I was popular in terms of I had a lot of friends, but I wasn't the popular guy. You know, I wasn't the quarterback. And Cash was kind of the, I don't know, the right in the middle. Um, hung out with the cool group that I didn't really care about, you know, but, um, we started contacting, I think, because I think we were fighting over a girl and of course, <laughs> of course. We were, you know, four, 15 years old, 14 years old. And, um, it's either territory or girls. Exactly. Right. And I think one of us wrote, I think it was MySpace. One of us wrote to each other, like, look, like, let's, this is stupid. Like, this is over a girl. Like, let's just call this off. We don't need a, no drama. We don't need a fight in the middle of campus, you know, whatever. So we, put it to the side and we started talking about music and we decided just to play for fun on the weekends. I wasn't a huge partier. Um, I didn't have a sip of alcohol. I, I think my whole high school life, maybe until late senior year. So I was very mild. And on the weekends when all my friends partied, I started picking up my guitar and just kind of writing songs and cash, you know, sometimes be like, Oh, let's c come over and we'll uh, write songs in my garage. And We'll see what happens. So we did it for fun. It was never, like I said, like, let's be in a famous band. Let's let's write and let's get signed. And that was never what I wanted to do. My intentions were to go to college and to have a completely normal life. And a fan base started and then it kind of just snowballed. And out of nowhere, we're like, we have something. Like, this is crazy. Like, how are we playing local shows and selling out 500 kids a night? You know what I mean? And off of two demos. So that's when we started realizing, like, okay, maybe we should take this seriously and, and see what we can do with this. So you, the, the school you went to was Liberty High School. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think on, on their website, it says the home of the Patriots. Mm -hmm. So, um, wow. Wow. And <laughs> um, do, do they have a, do they have a plaque up or any sort of note about you in the school? Um, Did, have they done anything to kind of note that you went there? I think there is. I think there's some newspaper articles that are framed. Um, but other than that, I don't think they want to uh, <laughs> glorify like being in a band, you know, not going to college and being in a band. It's not like... It'd be weird considering oh, he's a lawyer or like one he's... of the entertainment capitals of the country and they wouldn't want to glorify that. I know, but I didn't do entertainment at the school. Maybe if I was in their theater or choir program oh. and I became a singer, do you get what I'm saying? It yeah. was like, 
Maybe if I was a senator, they would glorify me or name the right, something so after me. They don't want to glorify but... the black sheep of the entertainment industry. You know how it is. Yes. Did you go to homecoming? Um, I did go to homecoming. I did. Did you go to prom? Once I went to one prom. Yeah, one I prom. did. Good experiences or? Yeah, it's it's in Vegas. It's the you don't actually go to the prom. It's weird. Like you go and you take pictures and then you go on a party bus and you do something fun. You know, with your friends. Like we went out to dinner and I think we went to like an amusement park or something. So it was a blast. The, uh, our, just all our group of friends. I think it was Cash, and it was like the band at the time. And then all of our girlfriends, pretty much. That's awesome. That's yeah, really awesome. It was fun. Did you did you have day job? Did you have uh, day jobs? Did you have jobs at all? No, I've never had a job. Really? This is my yeah. I've never had a real job. My parents wouldn't let me. You know, we I lived a block from high school from my school, and um, my mom was always like, "Look, like these are your these are your years to have fun. You know, you're playing sports. I was playing sports literally year round, and then the one season that I didn't play, I was really focusing on the band. So." My mom literally wouldn't let me work. She's like, why would you work? You're a, you're a kid. And, you know, she gave me chores, obviously. But she's like, other than that, be good. Like, play sports and stay involved in school. Like, you shouldn't have to worry about a job. Like, that's for the rest of your life. You know, Which, which sport do you play now still? Anything? Uh, do you run? Do you do anything like that? Like, yeah, I mean, I run. I mean, I try to play. When I go back to Vegas, I get together with a bunch of my friends and old high school coaches, and I play football. Um, I love playing basketball. Any chance I get to play basketball is great tenant i mean i play all sports That's like awesome. i love sports so any chance that i get to be active and to kind of find time it's usually the highlight of my week um maybe you can um uh, there, there's a story that you told actually in that cover story that, that from that issue of ap mm -hmm. and i would like you to tell it again because it just seems like one of these stories that would be very i don't know it would just be amusing to hear you actually say it okay and, and it's the story that you told you talk about where in, in the initial put together of the band you were playing guitar yes and you claim that you weren't very good at it. I'm not good at one, guitar. And at then there was like a there was a there was a there was a car ride one day. And you were in the back seat, mm -hmm. and you started singing "Fall Out Boy." Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I still play guitar. There's a difference. Like there's being able to play and write on guitar, and then being able to play. You know, actually play. Um, I'm not one of those guys that plays without thinking. Like I definitely have to think, and it's like a science to me, which it shouldn't be. Um, I mean, the best players are people that are just natural at it and just feel it. And I can't do that, but I'm good enough to write. You know, I write a lot of the songs, a lot of the rhythms and the riffs. But um, yeah, so <clears throat> when the band first started out, I was always just playing basic chords and kind of singing. And um, Cash was the lead singer, which was probably the worst idea ever. Uh, no offense, but you know, it's just being honest here. And uh, I was singing backgrounds and... Um, yeah, and then one time in the car, we were sitting, he had a white, like a super old white Mustang convertible. And convertible. I remember the exact song. We were listening to Fall Out Boy, um, Music or the Misery, mm. which to this day, I have no idea why they didn't go on a record. That's probably one of my favorite Fall Out Boy songs. And uh, completely off topic. <laughs> and I'm singing at like the top of my lungs because I was just a huge Fall Out Boy fan. And he looked at me, he grabbed my shirt and he goes, you can sing? And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm singing along the radio. He's like, no, keep going. I'm like, I'm definitely not going to, I'm not going to keep singing for you. Like, what is this? You know? And he was like, I hate you. You're in a band with me and you never told me you could sing. He's like, you're the singer. I'm like, I am not the singer. He's like, you need to take a few days and think about whether you want to be the singer or not. And I was like, okay. And I went home and I remember I, I sat in bed and I was like, can I be a lead singer? Like I'm way, way too shy for this. Like there's no way that I can take 
But you wanted to be Brandon Boyd. The pre- yeah, but you know, you want to, but at the same time, it's so hard to look in the mirror and be like, I'm, I'm good enough to be a, lead, a Brandon Boyd or a lead singer. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm not one of those guys. I'm not the lead singer who's like, hell yeah, you know, like I want, I don't know. Like I, I love singing and writing music because it's, it's, an, it's an art for me and I love doing it, but it's definitely taken, even now, it's like I, I've, feel like it's taken five years for me to come out of my shell like I'm still really finally getting to the point to where like I'm confident and I'm comfortable on stage like it's I mean you watch videos of me on the Cobra tour um Cobra Starship the really really ridiculously good looking tour in 2008 and I am so awkward on stage I cannot make eye contact with anyone and I look back and I watch YouTube videos of it now sometimes and I'm just like wow I was so nervous you know like I literally got signed and they put us on the road, and I was a deer in headlights. I was just like, what am I doing? You know, I, I wasn't in the mode yet. And it's like looking back on the label situation and the management situation, it's like, um, of course, I'm bummed that people stopped believing in us. Certain people stopped believing in us. But at the same time, it's like, wow, like we were so green. You know what I mean? Like back then, I'm like, why isn't this happening for us? Like, why, why does this happen? Why isn't this happening? And it's like, now that I'm old and I'm mature and I'm finally comfortable and I finally, I think, get things, looking back, I'm like, wow. They literally gave a shot to these kids who had no idea what was going on. They were not, probably not ready to be on that stage. Um, but they saw, you know, talent or they saw potential and, you know, we'll be forever be grateful for that. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like now I'm finally, for the first time, being comfortable on stage. You know, cynics will say that what makes a great lead singer is narcissism. Mm-hmm. But, um, but... Uh, everybody else would say, and you would say, mm-hmm. what? Um, like, what caused you to, what, what was that thing that got you to feel comfortable in your skin in front of, you know, four or 500,000 kids a night I think, staring at you? I think the phones? point, the turning point was when I realized that I could make a difference in these kids' lives, that it wasn't for me. Being on stage wasn't for me anymore. It wasn't me wanting to be on stage for myself. It was more you know what, like we're doing something that, that gives kids hope that like when these kids sing along to these songs, it means something to them. And me looking them in the eye and singing these words that I've written can actually change and affect people. I think that's when I realized like, okay, maybe I wasn't meant to be the lead singer who's on stage ripping a shirt off and, and friggin' blowing fire, during, you know, doing shots on stage. But I'm not that lead singer. I will never be that lead singer. But maybe, you know, I'm the lead singer that can actually help people that, you know, can be up there for them and that can show kids that if I can do it, anyone can do it, you know, if they really work hard and if they believe in it. I think I've been able to untangle the string online because there's a lot of, there seems to be conflicting reports, but from this Las Vegas uh, Review Journal piece from 2006, um, they state that your first show as a band was in uh, December 2005 at the Rock and Roll Java. Yes, that's true. On Eastern Avenue and Pebble Road. Is that still there? No, it's closed down. It's closed down? It is. But that is the first show you did. That is the first show we ever did, yes. And you were playing guitar in that? Or was no. That, you were singing? I was, I was singing. Right. I think that was the first show I didn't... That was the full... I always played guitar, practice. And then when we played that show, it was like, put the guitar down and be a lead singer. And if you watch... There's two videos of that show on YouTube. And I don't think my hair leaves the front of my eyes the whole time. So nervous. <laughs> very and it Cobain. Was, very Cobain. Yeah. And it was only like, I think 250, 300 kids, all our friends, you know, just 300 of our friends from high school that knew every word. And 
we were like so scared yet so stoked at the same time and we covered sugar we're going down and um our drummer <laughs> our drummer at the time asked his uh asked a girl out to be his girlfriend uh from behind the kit that night it was just a super weird but memorable show um and to be honest we might I think we opened for Escape to Fate that show. <laughs> I think it was just a bunch of local Vegas bands, like all different kinds of music. And I think Escape to Fate headlined, to be honest, with Ronnie Radke in it at the time. Oh, okay. And I, we just did, we just had him on here, actually. Yeah, the um, Falling in Reverse, right? Right, right, awesome. right. Um, did, you, did you hang out? Did you know any of the other guys? I mean, the Panic guys were kind of already, I mean, did you know anybody from the Las Vegas scene at that time? Like, but I knew, um, I grew up being a higher fan. Um, I used to go to the, their show, so they knew me as a fan. I was never friends with the Panic guys. Um, a lot of people, I mean, people that really know about our band know that we weren't friends with them, but a lot of people at first meet us, like, oh, we heard Panic signed you. Like, were you friends with them? And they signed, was, no, we did not. We did not know them. They also knew me as a fan because um, I went to all the local shows. You know, I was always, always the kid in the front row singing along. And, but no, we didn't know the Panic guys or the Killers or any of them. Hmm. Um, the, so... The it says you recorded a three song demo. Mm -hmm. Was that after you signed to Olympus, or was that okay. see that that's a miss? We were never signed to Olympus, which Thank is you. Okay. It, which is very wiki, wiki correction. Yes, okay. it's very odd. Um, we were close with a lot of bands that were on this quote unquote label Olympus. It mm -hmm. wasn't really a label, you know. It was like a, I guess a group of people that put together like a group of bands, and sometimes they would give a little money to play shows, but it wasn't wasn't really a label um but there were definitely a group of bands like fletch forget mccarran just like a bunch of local vegas bands mm -hmm. that were in it and because we played so many shows with them people thought that we were a part of it but um to be honest they didn't think we were good enough to be a part of olympus so we weren't even <laughs> good enough to be a part of this label that wasn't even really a label someone needs to fix your your wiki page then yes. i mean i look everywhere online but but for stuff but uh, that was one of them that was that seemed to be repeated everywhere it got yeah it's, picked up. it's very strange so this three song demo did mm. that end, actually end up turning into uh the glitz and uh, glamour ap in any format or was this like really early like what? out of the bedroom kind of stuff this was wasn't out of the bedroom but it was very we were so, I remember how, this is how bad we were, is we were so bad that, like I was such a bad singer that even with a little bit of auto-tune on the recording, I think I was still flat on most <laughs> of the songs. Um, I had no idea what I was doing, and I don't think any of us did, but we recorded three songs, and then one of those songs we re-recorded for the Glitz and Glamour EP. But um, it was pretty much just to, like, okay guys, we need to go into a studio and actually record songs, like this is what bands do, and... um yeah, I mean, it's pretty hysterical to listen back. Which one was first? Was it Drunk Love EP or was it Glitz and Glamour? Uh, that's, that's also conflicting. Well, drunk, the, the, the first three songs were High on Heels, Drunk Love, and Lies, Lust, and Lingerie, which there wasn't a really an, an EP name. It was just kind of throw them up on MySpace. Okay, because it says that, uh, that I'll Run and Take My Hand were re-recorded and put on, uh, on the Whisper War record. Yes, so we recorded those... Uh, the High on Heels, Drunk Love, Lies Less and Laundry. Then we did a Glitz and Glamour EP. And then the first songs recorded with Alex Marshall in the band were Take My Hand and I'll Run. And then once we did Whisper War, we re-recorded those. So it's probably, it sounds like Drunk Love really was the first was the first pseudo-release, yeah. so to speak. Mm -hmm. and, and okay. So, um, okay, good. So when you did Glitz and Glamour EP, it's like a seven-song EP, um, 2007 right there. And, the, and I think you had stated in an interview that you would literally maybe that that bit in the white convertible uh you said that you had only been singing for a few weeks before you actually started yeah 
recording that. Yeah. So, so is that something that you guys are trying to like pay people to bury in in the desert so it never gets released or? Um. No. I mean, you can't be like that. You got to be proud of of the growth. I guess if anything, it shows how much we've grown. So when people listen to that and listen to Symphony Soldier, it's actually kind of cool that they can be like, "Wow, you know what I mean? Like this band in five years is literally like night and day. It is insane." Um, I, I listen to it and I'm super proud of of us as a band. And um, a lot of those songs still mean a lot to some of the kids. So we can't, I can't say anything negative about them, you know, because they it got us to where we are. And like we every single night to this day, I get asked to sing a song called "Whisper Something Fragile." Um, which was a ballady type song on that EP, and uh, sometimes I'll sing an acapella after the shows. But it's insane that people even know that those songs exist. The power of the internet. The power of the internet, definitely. So when you walked up to, was it Spencer and John you walked up to? At Spencer the, and John, yes. Okay, the, and you walk, and actually the story is supposedly that you actually had brought a a cassette or a CD or something, mm -hmm. to, would have been CD, um, to uh, give to a friend that night. Well, we, what happened was we just recorded the songs, uh, Take My Hand and I'll Run. So I had them, I burnt them on a CD for, for me, for my friend. I get in the car, her name's Christina Foti. We get in her, whatever, her SUV, and we're driving to the cartel, boys like girls, Cobra Starship Acceptance show, maybe? I think Acceptance was on that. Mm -hmm. It was around that time. And um, she, we listened to it in the car. I was just showing her to see what she thought of the songs, and... Um, she put it in her purse for whatever reason. I don't know why she took it out of the CD player. I think she's like, oh, I'll listen to it when I get home again. Put it in her purse. And there was two, I had two CDs with me. I don't know why, but there was two. So she had two CDs in her purse. We go to the venue and watching the show. And I run into Brian at the time from Boys Like Girls. Mm -hmm. Or he was in Boys Like Girls. And he was so nice about it. He was like, oh my God, I can't wait to listen to this. Like, thank you so much, man. Like, I appreciate it. Never got back to me. He was the nicer one, so I thought for sure he would listen. <laughs> right. And then I see Spencer and John, and they're like super nonchalant. And uh, Spencer's like, yeah, man, I remember you from our first show. You were like front row. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, cool, dude, thanks. And kind of like didn't blow me off, but was just like, yeah, you know, we got to go, you know. And I was like, there's no way he's listening to it. And it, it flipped, I guess, Brian. And Brian and I are friends now, so I always mess them. Like, <laughs> you had the chance to break us, man, and you you just didn't listen. And he's, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened that night. And I was cracking up. But um, Spencer and John listened. And Spencer, I remember he came up to me and he goes, dude, we were having a really bad night. And we wanted to listen to your demo. We thought it'd be, cause most of them are awful. You know, 99% of the demos you get are pretty bad. So he's like, we just wanted to like laugh at something. So we were going to put it in and be like, <laughs> at least they were honest. give us, yeah. We were like, dude, we wanted like a confidence booster. Like you guys are doing good because there's music like this out there. And he's like, and we put it in and he's like, we loved it for whatever reason. We loved it. And we um, went to Ryan and we showed Ryan and Ryan was the guy who contacted me. Um, and he hit you up on MySpace or something, didn't he? Or on AIM. On AIM. And his screen name, I don't want to give it out exactly, but it was something close to like, my name is Ryan Ross or something. Oh, yeah, that so, was, that you, yeah, yeah. There used to be his MySpace yeah, name. Yeah, it was something, something like so yeah. simple and obvious that I was like, I thought it was Cash or one of my friends messing with me. So I told him like, can I cuss on this? Yeah, sure. So I'm like, fuck off, you know, like, stop. Who is this? And he's like, Ryan Ross. I'm like, seriously, who is this? You know, this is not funny. And he goes, dude, do you want me to call you? And I was just like, yeah, sure call me and he called me and he was just giving me like compliment after compliment and i was in this weird fantasy world because i'm just like no way like where this were you is... were you at home right yeah i was just sitting at home and he's like dude you have 
one of the best voices I've ever heard. Like you have no idea the potential. And I'm just like, okay, like you are insane. Like I don't even think these songs are that good. And I recorded them. Um, and then he invited us to their cabin and we went to their cabin and like little things I remember, like Spencer pulling me to the side and Spencer put his hand on my shoulder and he goes, I don't know how long it's going to take. He goes, I can't promise you anything, but I mean, he was a little drunk, but he goes, you guys are going to be so much bigger than Panic one day than my band. And he goes, you have no idea. And he goes, it could take 10 years. He's like, but there is going to be a point in time to where you guys are going to be way bigger than us. And you're going to call me and you're going to be like, how the hell did you know? And hearing that from a band that you look up to, I mean, Fever You Can't Sweat Out was my favorite album at the time. So this was just insane. Like, I think it was one of the first times I was ever drinking. I'm at a cabin with my favorite band. Um, they were lighting guitars on fire in the basement. And Brendan, I remember Brendan getting on the piano and he already knew how to play all run. He starts playing and, um, and singing it. He's just playing and singing at the same time. And I'm watching my favorite band sing my song and... Um, Brennan's like, you know of any Panic songs? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, dude, we'll play the Panic song and you sing it. And then you guys play a Cap song and I'll sing it. And I'm just like tripping out. I'm like, is this happening? Like just, it was so surreal, man. It was the coolest, um, I guess, initiation thing like, ever. It was just, uh, that's what kids dream of. You know what I mean? And it, it, it happened and, you know, I'll never forget it. I'll never um, be able to say how thankful I am for them for that. So what was that audition for Pete? No, that was crazy. So we, uh, it was finals week. It was the last week of school. I was studying for uh, like a calculus final. And uh, <laughs> of course, I get a call. And um, I think it was from Jonathan Daniel, who, you know, was um, with Crush Management, who Panic introduced us to. <clears throat> and he goes, hey, Pete's in town um, doing a Gym Class Heroes uh, music video at the Palms. Bring a guitar. Um, you have uh, an audition in, a, in an hour. In an hour, you know, I, I live 40 minutes away. So you're telling me I got to get dressed and just go. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, okay. So I get there and the gym class was for clothes off. So it was, there was girls, there was like supermodels in bikinis, like walking down the hallways and cameras. And I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? This is insane. Pete's uh, in an Elvis outfit because he was Elvis in the video. So like, it was just so odd. And he sat us in a circle. I remember like, um, Sashi and, um, and Travi were all like changing like right next to us. And we're like in this massive circle. And it's like Ashley Simpson, Pete, um, everyone from Crush, like some of the gym class dudes. It was just everyone. Um, and I sat down and he handed me, or he's like, pick up your guitar. And I, like I said, I'm not a guitar player. And he's like, I want you to play and sing. And I was just like, no way. I'm like, what do you want me to play? And he goes, whatever you want. And I'm like, okay. And I played... I think two songs that just song ideas that I had, not songs that ever became anything. Um, actually, Lights. I played Lights, which was a B-side from Whisper War. I played Lights, and I think I played a little bit of Take My Hand, maybe. And um, after like three minutes, he's like, all right, sign him up. And uh, he patted me on the back. He's like, have a great night. And he was just like, I'm like, that's it? He's like, yeah, you know, welcome to the family. And I'm just like, awesome. And I remember we got the contract in the mail a few days later and signed it on my kitchen counter, and I was just tripping out and uh what about the phone call after you left that or what like how did you tell the rest of the guys in the band what Pete just said no they were there the oh, rest they, of they were there they too. were part of the circle oh. so they're all watching me like don't fuck this up for us you know what I mean like you're playing guitar like if you mess up and we don't get this because of you we're gonna be pissed so I'm like literally shaking like I I was so nervous I I can't even put it into words like god yeah so you so that was in 
Supposedly it was May 2007. <clears throat> yeah, 2007, because when I graduated. Yeah. And uh, there, was, there was talk about a reality show. Yeah, they, they filmed a whole reality show. Reality show followed us at graduation. They followed us around high school that last week. Um, they filmed everything from us meeting Pete to our first show, um, playing at uh, Chain Reaction for Pete and a bunch of people, Patrick. Um, we opened for Fall Out Boy at, at that show. It was like a secret Fall Out Boy show. And um, it just never came to be because I think they wanted to, you know, it was like, oh, you got to kick out this member. And I'm like, okay, like you can't interfere with the actual band. If you want to document the band, that's cool. But you can't start writing the band storyline because then it starts messing with the, the chemistry and the science of the band. And, you know, we couldn't have that. So um, it was cool. Like we still have all the footage and it's it's pretty hilarious to watch the trailer because it's just we we're so young. I think I had braces. Um, you, ever, you ever think about, I mean, can you even have the rights to release it? You'd have to probably get. Well, a lot. Of, some of the too. footage got used in the one of those nights videos. It's like a behind oh, okay. the scenes kind of thing. But I, I don't know if we could ever use it. I'm sure we could. It's pretty um, pretty weird. For the record, just so it's out there, I think it may be it may already be out there. But just to uh, for oral record, um, the band name came from. No, nothing specific. A cash was listing a bunch of band names, and we didn't want a really long. We didn't want a panic at the disco type of name. You know, we were just like, let's come up with something super simple. That uh, lets our music speaks for itself, and um, yeah. So I guess he just said the cab, and for whatever reason, I'm like, you know what? Let's just go with that, and we have to change it later. We'll change it later, and we, it just stuck. You graduate? Did you did you tour? Did you you didn't really tour the U.S. at all until after graduation, right? Yeah, we graduated, and then that summer, instantly, we went out with We the Kings and the White Tie Affair, like before they had any music out. Like all three of our bands were nothing we were playing in front of 12 kids in baytown in bridge city texas um one show we played at a skate park and no one came so it was literally the bands watching the bands it was pretty pretty insane and there was actually there were skateboarders at the skate park that are flipping us off they had like dead kennedy shirts on <laughs> get the fuck out of here fuck you you know asshole and it's like all right cool thanks guys this uh this song's called i'll run like <laughs> it was pretty crazy um Ian Crawford, he left the band before that tour or, yeah. a, or after? Ian left. Because there's. Bamboozle the... was his last show. Okay. So he was in the band, I mean, for. I'm sorry, he came in. So Paul left. Yes, Paul, Paul left. Garcia mm -hmm. before that tour. Yeah. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. So then Ian came in. He moved, to, he moved to Vegas from Washington State. Yeah. And we got introduced uh, to him through, Pan through Shane, who uh, was Panic, you know, Panic's friend and video guys, um, his cousin or whatever. So he's like, I know the perfect kid. And Ian came and he had baggy jeans on, you know, total Seattle looking kid. And I think, yeah, what kind of shirt did he have on? Like, I don't know, it's like a Bob Marley or Jimi Hendrix shirt on. And we were, and then he played for us and it was just game over. Like the best guitar playing I'd ever heard. I'm like, dude, you are in. If you want in, I'm a fan of you, man. So I can't wait to just watch you every night on stage. He was so good. Did you have any epiphany while you were on that tour, that first tour of the country, and you were seeing parts of the country maybe you'd never been to? Did you like kind of realize like that stereotypes were true about certain parts, or maybe stereotypes were broken about bands or about tour or about about maybe touring or maybe about um, uh, just this country of ours? Um, I mean, tour wise, obviously, when you think of tour, you think that it's fun and party, 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 and that it's just glamorous. And obviously, when you're playing. Um, a garage and a skate park in, in Baytown, Texas. It's not as glamorous as you see on TV. Um, but then you just, you really gain this appreciation um, of life when you tour. Like when you start seeing places and 
even getting um, as, as detailed as like when you see like the poverty in certain parts of the country and you, you just grow this love and appreciation of life and where you came from and um, even appreciation for like my, like Las Vegas, you know, it's just little things like thing like restaurants being open 24 hours. Like you're like, wow, it doesn't happen everywhere in the country. Like we went to two days ago, we were in Wisconsin and we go to Denny's and it says Denny's and there's all these stars and it says always open diner. And then right underneath it's closed sign. It says closed. <laughs> okay, cool. You know, like Denny's closes in Wisconsin. Awesome. You know? Um, but no, I, I think you just really appreciate things. Like I, I was never a travel type of person. You know, I was, I loved Las Vegas. I loved California, but I never really gone anywhere. And now it's like, I'm booking a three week trek through Europe in March for right. fun, just for fun, because that's what I love now. I love, you see a little bit and you just want to see more and you're like, wow, like this is incredible. I've learned so much. I've lived 50 years in two years. Like, let's keep going. Like, I just want to see everything and I want to meet everyone. And you just, you get like this life and sensory ADD when you're in a band because you're so used to just always being stimulated and visually or sonically or just, I don't know, you just, you love everything and your appreciation for detail just really grows. So your so the debut album the debut album Whisper War <clears throat> came out April 29th, two thousand eight. Mm -hmm. uh, your sister Sophia is the girl on the cover. Yeah, she is. Um, uh, Brendan's on that record. Patrick's on that record. Patrick Stump. Um, let's see here. What else? And Matt Squire produced it. Mm -hmm. um, so now uh, and so four years later, and, if, and and within a few months from now, I'll be four years old. Mm -hmm. um, looking back on that record, is there anything wow. you kind of feel like? Um, is there anything on it that you that you feel that you kind of now with some retrospect you can sit there and go we probably could have done that better anything oh, like that of, of course I mean I think when you record something a week after it's released you're already like oh, I wish I would have added this harmony or I wish we would have produced this different I mean that always happens as as an artist and as a a songwriter nothing is ever perfect I think I don't think there's ever been an artist who listens to one of their songs and like that is perfection you know you always want to critique it and you always want to be better so looking at that album even thinking about the experience we were so green like i said earlier mm -hmm. that we were so excited to be in a big studio with like a big soundboard and there was an xbox in the next room and we were at the red bull studios and we we're like this is amazing like we've made it um we were just so excited that you know i think we let everyone else steer the ship and maybe that's the one regret that i have for that first album is like i really wish that i would have been a little more vocal you know instead of just trusting everyone instead of being like oh you know they did this and and they've done this so they must know what's right you know it's really I, I really wish i would have just put my hand in it and been like no like we should do this and we should do that and that was the problem with our first record is just being brutally honest there were so many cooks in the kitchen from management and the label and the producers and the writers and us that it was, Whisper was a hard album to make. Everyone was fighting with each other on, like we were supposed to be the next big band. You know, we were, we had Panic and, and Fall Out Boy on our record on the same song and Fall Out Boy had just blown Panic up and we were Panic's band. So it was like, naturally people expected us to blow up. So when we didn't, it was like, who do we point, like let's point fingers, Who whose fault is this? We were supposed to be the biggest band in the world and we're not. Um, Everyone wanted the album their way and no one got it their way. It just kind of was this mush in the middle, you know, still an album that we're very proud of, but it was so chaotic. And looking back on it, we thought it was normal back then, but it's, it's really not, you know, it shouldn't be that 
intense. It shouldn't be that crazy and it shouldn't be that political. And Whisper War was a very political record. You could, usually if a, if a record bombs, if, even if all these other people in mm -hmm. the kitchen, the band always gets blamed. Yeah. Did you, do you feel like you got, the band got blamed for that? Well, it's, it's so crazy because, I mean, the album sold almost, I think it's about at 100,000 now. Mm -hmm. So to us, that's not like, that is better than 99% of any artist will do in their sure. entire career. So it's like, do we look at it as bombing? It's like, hell no. You know, that, to us, 100,000 records, that's such a great platform. Um, you know, a new record now, it's like one fourth, one fifth of that at the moment, you know? Um, <laughs> right. So it's just like, you know, obviously every year the music industry, especially record sales, just goes down and down and down. But um, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like if people blame us for that or for not, I guess, getting as big as we should have been, um, I don't know. I guess we're happy. We're, we're content with how we did on that record. Obviously, we want to be the biggest band in the world, but it's like how can we complain we did an arena tour we did we opened for some amazing bands we made a lot of good friends our fans love the record and um do i wish it would have done better of course but at the same time part of me is glad that it did how it did because i don't think we would have been ready i don't think at 19 or 18 years old however old i was when we released it i was not i would not have been ready for all of the things that would have came with a successful album or a single and I'll, I'll, that's just me being brutally honest. I was way too naive, way too green. And I probably would have been in a world of hurt if we would have gotten that big that fast. So I'm actually glad that organically I've been able to grow. You, you, said, you said a quote about that time period because you, you, you've talked about how, you, how everybody else is kind of running the ship. Mm -hmm. And you guys kind of stood back and kind of let it go and let them do their autopilot of yeah, yeah. how they build the star machine, right? Mm -hmm. That crush and all those guys, usually they, they are and they do so well. And you said, um, this industry is a shark tank, and we were acting like it was a bowl of goldfish. Mm -hmm. And do you think that's one of the standard operating procedure mistakes that new artists make is when they, if they get signed to a big label and they got big things, is they just kind of go, I don't know. They expect like, a lot. You do. I mean, you, as a kid with stars in your eyes, you think that once you sign to a label, you've made it. And if you're on the biggest label in the world, you're going to be the biggest fan in the world. And that has... I could not be further from the truth. You know, I would say more bands, more bands bomb on major labels than they do on independent, you know, labels. Um, if you look at the percentages of artists who sell more than ten thousand records on on major labels, as opposed to how many sell a million, like you would be amazed. You know, you know, obviously, mm -hmm. but a lot of fans and and kids out there don't realize that. Um, and the thing is, is Fuel by Ramen is such an incredible label, and they have done so much work and just so many amazing things with so many artists that we have nothing bad to say about them and same with crush like crush, like jd and bob at crush are are seriously some of the most intelligent smart people i've ever met in this industry to this day mm -hmm. um i know that if i ever needed anything i could call jd and he would be there for me in a heartbeat um just for whatever reason our band in that equation just didn't work and that's fine you know sometimes things just don't work there's no specific reason. Um, there's no, there's no one to blame. You know, it just didn't work. The 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 timing, the stars in the line, whatever you want to call it, it just didn't work out. And as I've said before, we're we're so happy with where we're at now and and the future and what's been coming that mm -hmm. it's like, if that if all of that if the past three years is what it takes to get to where we are now, that's fine. You know, we don't regret anything. Um, we don't hate anyone. You know, we we still look up to those people. We still 
um, if we're in the same town, we'll get drinks together and we'll talk and laugh. And it's, you know, it's, we aren't that type of people, you know? So after you recorded the record and then you went on a tour <clears throat> and then you had a, the, you had the uh, van accident in Wisconsin mm -hmm. in February, 2008, what happened with that? Um, it was just a typical, you know, where were you in Wisconsin? Toma. Okay. Tiny, tiny city. Um, it was just, you know, the same typical story, nine dudes in a van, um, or eight dudes and one girl. I went to her manager. It was Jess Wesley. And, uh, we were just driving. I was sleeping in basketball shorts in the back. Like I normally do. Was it night? It was night. It was three in the morning and, uh, it was February. So just the roads were icy. We hit a patch of black ice and. Once you do that with a trailer, it's pretty much game over. Just the momentum and the whip from the trailer, just you don't stand a chance. So we rolled a few times and, you know, we, a few of us were injured, but the fact that no one broke any bones and everyone survived is, is insane. You know, we definitely are just extremely fortunate to be there. And I think only one amp broke. Like all of our instruments were completely fine. Wow. Except for one amp. And, um, I think one of us lost a passport and I lost a pair of shoes and like, that's, that's it. It was, we walked away pretty unscathed. Did you make the show the next day? We did. I played in, <laughs> I played in, uh, I played in crutches. In crutches? We played acoustic and I was like, we cannot. How did you hurt yourself? Um, like, what, did you break something or you were just stra sprained? Um, or? My leg flew out the window and did a credit card slide against a shattered glass. So the doctor was like, you literally are half a centimeter away from slicing this artery. Like, if you would have sliced that artery, your lower part of your leg would have had it been amputated. Um, he's like, you barely made it. I have this huge scar on the back of my uh, my knee, like in that little fold. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty insane. No, we, the day we were in the hospital, we didn't play the show. So we did, okay. we did miss one show um, the day because we were actually in the hospital. But then after that, we immediately went to Kansas City, Missouri. And I played on crutches and I had, I think I had a bandage on my face and we were like, there's no way we can't, this is our first big tour. You know, we can't let these kids down. Um, and Cobra was super cool. They had a huge donation tin at their merch booth and you know, the, that whole week, um, raised money for us to help us get back on our feet. And that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Um, so we're gonna, we take two song breaks. Let's take the first one right now. So give me two bands and two and a song for each. Okay. So, um, Give me the song that was your anthem growing up, like the one that like you'd always have on in the car or on your Walkman or, you know, because we talked about it. Can we play Fall Out Boy Music of the Misery? Because that was the song that that uh, I guess started my uh, singing career. So I would love to hear that song again. It's been a while. And then give me the song that um, helped you through the tough times when you were growing up. Oh, wow. Um, the tough times. Wow, that's a good one. Um, I'm sorry, I'm taking so long on this. No, that's um, it would be like that one where you're sad and you're bummed out, and you just... yeah, and then you listen to a song and it makes it better. I'm trying to think. Um, or maybe it was the one that made you kind of gave you the movement so you could you know, bust out. You know, you know what song, I mean, this is going to be so cliche sounding and so corny sounding, but the song that I always listened to that just made me want to be a better person and that made me want to be positive all the time was Man in the Mirror by Michael. And that was a song that my dad played me for me starting at four years old, you know, like listen to the song, like the song is about changing the world and 
I know it's like I said, it sounds so cliche, but to this day, I listen to that song and I, there's a beautiful cover by a guy named James Morrison of it. And it's just such a powerful song, you know, and, and the, the imagery and just the statement is, is so important and big to me. So Man in the Mirror by Michael. <laughs>
That first headlining tour that you did, the What What Happens in Vegas tour, mm-hmm. and it was you guys, Secret Handshake, mm-hmm. Rocket of the Moon, Alaska, yeah, Ann Arbor, mm-hmm. um, and the Somerset, Somerset was on part of it, yeah, yeah. Um, what was your favorite memory? You remember your favorite memory of that tour? Oh, um, I think just being able to play the non-singles, the songs like the track tens and elevens on the record, and hearing people sing along to those to know that. Wow. As a band, we weren't just one of those bands that people knew one or two songs, that we did have fans that actually listened to the album. I think that was really cool for us. Um, 
and also um, just seeing bands like, for example, just becoming friends with bands like The Somerset and Rocket to the Moon, who to this day are doing so good on their own. Um, just being able to take bands that we enjoyed and that we that we wanted to bring on tour, like, oh, we really like this band. They're, they're younger and they're up and coming. It was just crazy to us that there were bands younger than us. You know what I mean? And that were more <laughs> up and coming than us because we felt like babies all the time. So we were like, wow, there's people playing before us. Like, this is this is pretty crazy. You know what I mean? I think that was a really cool moment for us. So within this, within that roughly year, year and a half period there, um, Cash left the band. Yep. And uh, and so it's it's it was kind of interesting because if you take a look at some of the quotes he was saying, was uh, he said that he he felt like he couldn't bring personally his best to the table for the creation of Whisper War. Am I correct? Uh. Sure, I guess. I mean, so. the quote is correct. I'm just saying. That <laughs> yeah, the quote, the quote is, is correct. correct. <laughs> so, so, and then, and he made, um, a, and, and then he made a quote saying about Whisper War. He said, "I feel the whole band in general has their musical differences, which I feel you can tell on Whisper War." And so, um, I don't think it's a problem. That's a good. I see. Like, I look at that as one of the cab's strengths, like the fact that um, I can listen to R and B and pop, and the fact that our guitar player can listen to classic rock and. Marshall can listen to Copeland and Jack's mannequin. And I think that was one of our strengths. So I think that um, quote was kind of a cop out okay. for him to be on. I mean, I'm just being honest. I, you know, I, I, I don't see that as a problem whatsoever. And, and Ian left the band too mm-hmm. at, around that time. And, and that's when Brian Dawson came in and he sat in on the tour. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you, you've made a quote you stated, and I think it was in our issue or it was on a, a website. You said, when people leave the band, you can't blame them. People grow up, people mm-hmm. change their minds, people figure out who they are. And I, I, I just kind of sometimes wonder if, if a lot of bands where they're coming out of high school and their friends and stuff like that, they're never really prepared for that moment. Yeah, I mean, you're not. You don't... Because there is an expiration. There, is, there are expiration dates on bands, but there's also expiration dates on individual members as well. Yeah, you know, you, can't, you can't control who people are going to grow to be. You have to let people grow up on their own. And some people grow up into... Um, amazing people and you grow closer with each other with age and then some people um, grow up and they become people that um, you don't really want to be around or people that don't really mesh with you Mm -hmm. so it was just one of those things to where like yeah there's so many member changes but if you look at the age that we were and I mean it just happens like I feel like the cab as, as weird as this is it's like we we go after um especially as of late um, after the original members started fading out, we went after the best. We wanted the best guitar player. We wanted, you know, that we want the best drummer. We want everything. And it's like, they're almost too good to be in a band that's not massive, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. it's like, Ian was such a rock star. Like the kid is, I cannot say enough amazing things about Ian and how talented he is. And we were so lucky to even have him for a year and a half. And I, I mean, I remember in the back of my head all the time, like, dude, this guy can leave at any time. You know, he could be in any band he wants to. If anybody in the world needs a guitar player, there's no doubt in my mind that one tryout Ian would be in it. I always knew that. And you're always grateful and you're thankful and you hope that they stick around and they want to be a part of it and they want to be a part of that growth and that success. But when Ian left, it was just like, you know, like it's you just when, especially at the size that we were at, it's like some people don't want to just deal with all the BS because there is so much BS being in that middle level band that it was just like, dude, like how do you compete with 
the pay or how do you compete with um, the amount of success? Like if someone's like, hey, do you want to join our band? We'll pay you 10 times as much. You can play stadiums in Brazil and you can do it's just like. You know, how do you say no to that? You know, that's actually, I, I don't, I don't know. I just realized that I don't ask about that, but poaching. Mm -hmm. It happens all the time. And if it doesn't happen, it, there are attempts. You know what I mean? I can't tell you how many times, I'm not going to say detailed times, but we've had people come up to certain members and be like, or even me and be like, yo, you should do this. Or, you know, they whisper in your ear like, hey, if you, if you leave, you know, you can come do this. Like I'll you be way bigger. And it's just like, no, dude, you know, it's. It it happens all the time. Is there, in is this there anything scene. that you can is there is there anything you can disclose where you where <clears throat> you were offered something that that you turned down and that that you wouldn't get in trouble if you talked about it or at least mentioned it? No, I mean I can say it. I mean you just get for example, like you have people. I have a very pop R and B voice, so mm -hmm. I get asked all the time, like, "Are you going to go solo? Or do you, do you want to do a solo thing?" Like the Cab has been a great platform. You've had two albums now. Like, do you want to do your own thing and and do like that pop Justin Timberlake thing? And it's just like. Um, at this point in time, like, no, I, the cab is my baby. I've, I've worked so hard and the guys in the band and the people and the team around us are like family. And, um, this is what I like to do. You know, I don't, I wouldn't be, the cab wouldn't be unique if like, if I went and sang Justin Timberlake type of music, I would not be anything special. You know what I mean? It's like, dude, you're competing with John Mayer and Justin Timberlake and all these people. But in a band, that's what makes the cab cool is there are people that maybe shouldn't be in that scene that are in that scene you know what i mean like someone mm -hmm. like johnny craig who i know is such a hot topic when it comes to you know ap magazine and, and those readers and if people only knew how talented that guy was you know what i mean like it is unreal you know I, i've met him and i know that he can be a pain to some people and you know he was always so nice to me and first time i met him he came up to me and he goes Dude, he goes, I don't know your name. I don't know what band you're in. And he's like, I just heard you from a cross warp tour. I just got off stage. I heard your voice and I sprinted across to see who it was. And he's like, I just wanted to tell you that I love your voice and you probably shouldn't be in the scene, but I'm so glad that you are. And he said it to me. And, and to be honest, that's what I always thought about Johnny Craig is I was like, dude, this guy's voice is way like if he wanted to do something else, like he could, you know what I mean? But that's what makes Johnny Craig cool is, is he is in like that kind of rock band and that's what makes him different from all the other rock bands. You know what I mean? And maybe if he didn't do that, he wouldn't be as unique. He wouldn't be as like, wow. But because he's in that rock band, it's this really cool thing, you know? And I always wish him the best of luck, you know? And I really hope that everything works out for him and that, you know, that the life works out in his favor. Um, but yeah, it's like, I, I don't know. I mean, someday, like, may I release music? Like, yeah, I mean, probably, I, I hope so. But right now, it's like the cab is doing so well, and I feel like we are, are are bigger than we've ever been. You know, we can tour, and these shows are doing so good and bad. Um, just keeps climbing at radio, and we got more radio on this doing it on our own than we ever did having that powerhouse label behind us. So as far as that kind of stuff goes, it's like there's no complaints. You know, I'm I'm perfectly happy with where I am. So you had Ian leave, Cash mm -hmm. left, and then Brian is going to become a father at the beginning of 2010. You, mm -hmm. you state like, hey, he's going to be a father. He's That's down. a perfect example of how people grow up. Like sometimes things happen in life that just aren't, there's nothing personal or, or musical. It's just, that's what happens. You know what I mean? Like you, you find out you're having a kid and that's, you want to be a father. Your life just instantly changes in one moment. So, so did you ever, did you have a moment at all after you found out that Brian was going to split mm -hmm. where you're like, we're cursed. 
We just had three members I still think in, we're in, a, in an eight-month period, <laughs> you know, for, for a variety of reasons, are now leaving uh, the band. And did you just start to kind of feel like, is like, you know, it's like, are we just done? Is this a sign? Are I mean, all of these signs? I'm, I'm human, and we all are human, so I definitely went through a point. Um, I can actually pinpoint, I think September or October of, mm, not last year, but the year before. 2010. After the or AP maybe, tour or before the AP no, tour? No, actually, after Warp Tour. Okay. The, right after Warp Tour, there was that point in time where I was just like, okay, what the hell? Like, literally, like, I've been literally swimming against this current constantly for three or four years. Um, should I be doing this? Like, do, do people even care about the cab anymore? You know what I mean? We took, literally, there was like a year where we did nothing. We did the AP tour. Before that, it was nothing. After that, it was really nothing. Then we did Warp Tour, and then we did nothing for like a year. And... Um, yeah, I think me and Marshall were both just like, what do we do? We want to do this, but do we have the resources? You know, at that point, we parted ways with our management and our label. So we were literally on our own. And we were like on this island and we we're just like, okay, what do we do? So I called um, everyone. I called, this was right about the uh, the Janik, Feel by Ramen split and the label split, management, all that. And, 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 and by <clears throat> then, Alex Johnson Mm -hmm. had to be removed exactly because so, of, uh, of that situation Ian, like the ian and the brian and all of that those were completely different circumstances than the cash and johnson you know mm -hmm. sometimes people leave and then sometimes people are not allowed to be in the band anymore you know it, there's mm -hmm. there's just lifestyle decisions and um i don't know like we are role models as, as much as we would like to not think that we are we are and kids look up to us and we're not going to have band members who, who teach the wrong things, you know, or who come off in the wrong way. It's just not who the cab is and who we want to be. You said a quote. You said at the, <clears throat> at the same time, certain things can become cancerous. Of course. And it can come to a point where if you want your band to reach its potential, you have to cut the cancer out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sad, but it, it has to happen even if the cancer is, is a friend of yours, you know, or was previously a friend. And I remember I, I had like a minor freak out. I'm usually a pretty happy guy. I'm almost 100% happy. Even if things go wrong, I'm pretty positive. And I had a little like breakdown and I called all my friends and family and I said, look, I'm uh, disappearing for two months. I'm going to Italy for six weeks. Probably won't hear from like, I'll email my mom every week telling her I'm okay and telling her about it. Um, and I'm going on a cruise and I'm doing things that I've never done because I need to think about what I want and what this band, what needs to happen. And was there a place you remember, like a sunset or was there a building or something where you like it all just kind of came to you? Um, it was the train rides. It was all the nine hour train rides <laughs> in between cities in Italy where I was just like lost in my own mind. And I was there with Sierra from Versi Merge, actually. And, you know, she, here she is super happy on Field by Ramen. And I like just left the label. I'm just like, wow, like is... Is, is she like the, is, you know, is my friend like just the new breed, breed of bands and we're just like, we've just fallen off? Like, is that, am I, am I crazy to think that? Um, am I supposed to be there still? Did I, like, did we make the wrong decision? And, you know, after... So you were having self-doubt even. Yeah, I definitely, you know, I, I had self-doubt. And to be honest, the fans are the ones that, when we realized we still had fans, that was when, when people were just hitting me up, still saying that, they wanted the album so bad and they were waiting for the album and the continuation of Whisper War. And, and I came home and I think a week after I got home from Italy, we found our new manager. And 
I wrote so much in Italy because there's so much on my mind that I had just lyrics and lyrics and melodies recorded in my iPhone. And um, I was so rejuvenated afterward. I've never been more inspired or more ready to just kick ass. I can't even put it into words. I've never been to Europe and I was just so, it was literally like a rebirth, not to sound like dumb, but it was just the feeling that I had when I got home. I was just so ready to just like, you know, can't give up, called Marshall. And I'm like, look, we need to make a record. We got to do it on our own. We have an awesome new manager who importantly believes in us, you know, because we fell at, at one point to where no one did. None of our team believed in us anymore. Um, so once we had a team that believed in us again, I think our confidence just immediately came up. We're like, okay, maybe we do have something like all these people believe in us. And out of nowhere, it's like Bruno Mars is like believing in us and Maroon 5 and all these people are willing to put their names on our album and like, look, we know you guys are the underdog. That's why we want to work with you because you guys are so talented and you guys have this potential to be massive and we think you guys are going to be massive. Um, you guys have to stay strong and we'll help you. You know, we'll we'll put the finger, give the finger to the man and just kind of like take your back and just be like, dude, you know, we know you don't have money. We know you guys don't have the resources of a major label, but we'll help you out and let's like make an amazing album. Whatever, the, the aborted sessions with Sam and Sluggo and Espionage and, and uh, all that, um, and, you, and your quote was, it was sounding like an American Idol record, uh, too forced and too random. Mm -hmm. How? I mean, when you work with different producers, obviously each producer has their own style. So you go in and it was pretty much like the same voice over completely different tracks. You know what I mean? And it was sounding like some of the songs... Um, one of the songs actually became a big time rush song. You know what I mean? Like that's not made up. You know that there are cab songs that became big time rush songs, or there are cab songs that are now on pop records that would have not have worked for us. Like the cool thing about Can you name the, one. Um, I'm probably in trouble for this, but I could care less at this point. Um, <laughs> Till I forget about you. Um, which big time one of big time rush's singles was um going to be a cab song, and uh, yeah, I mean it just it's. It was so odd. We were in such a weird place. We were so happy because we were writing with all these huge writers and these huge producers. And we're like, oh my God, they wrote a hit for Kelly Clarkson. Like, well, they'll write a hit for us. You know what I mean? Like, well, it'll all work out. And, um, you know, we learned so much from the songwriters and producers that there's no regrets. Like I said, um, mm -hmm. we right. just became sponges and we be, were, I'm the songwriter I am today because of those months of writing with these people and just learning. But it was just, it didn't sound like an album. We would have released it and fans would have been like, what is this? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you, mm -hmm. this isn't the cab. You know what I mean? This is, uh, this is Alex singing like these, these just pop songs. It just wouldn't make sense for the cab. Um, we like the, the minor, darker element and the groovy element to the cab. And when all of that was taken away, it was like, what is special about this? Like, okay, maybe I can sing, you know, maybe I can sing over these pop hooks, but what does that mean? Like, what, is, that means nothing. You know what I mean? Like, what are we going to be in, you know, Adam Lambert? Like, he's great, but he's he's a pop artist. You know what I mean? He's not a band. He's not he's not the cab. So we um we just said no. And most bands wouldn't, you know. Most bands would have been like, oh, you guys are going to push this? Like, okay, you know, cool. Like, if you guys say it's going to make you huge, cool. And and we said no, which a lot of people were like, are you crazy? A lot of our friends and bands were like, are you, are you guys crazy? You're not going to release a song you wrote with so-and-so? And we're like, no, we're not. Like, we're... 
So by not, then you you weren't doing the automatic pilot anymore. You now were <clears throat> exactly because we learned from Wisp War and we're like we're not going to do that again. It didn't work the first time necessarily. It's not going to work the second time. And this isn't us. And if we don't believe in it, how are we supposed to make other people believe in it? And that was kind of the point in time to where the label was like, well, if you don't want to do this, then you guys can leave if you want, or you can stay and release the songs that we like or do what we want you to do. And we were like, no, I'm I'm sorry, we can't. You said a quote, labels have to realize they can't change artists. Yeah. Well, they, they can, but they, they can't change who the artists are meant to be, I think. You know, I think that's what the, the quote, that's mm -hmm. what I meant when saying that is people and artists have their unique style and that's what makes them artists. And if the label tries to make them into something different, um, people will see right through it. You know, music listeners aren't dumb, you know, um, they're not. And I think sometimes labels think that they are. But there's a reason why um, Mumford and Sons and Adele were at the top of the charts for so long. You know, music listeners don't just like um, the three chord four and the four music. Like that's a great, that's a good time. It feels good, but that's not like there's still people out there that want to relate to the songs. You know, that'll never change. Isn't it though? And we, and I know you've got friends like this, and I've you know I've got um, musician friends like this, and and we've we've heard the story or the line over the past year year and a half where they're like man this warp tour ghetto like i'm gonna be stuck here forever playing this thing yeah i, I need to change we need to change so mm -hmm. we're gonna go write the great pop record yeah we're gonna, we're gonna go write the great tom petty record mm -hmm. and uh and and so the, the the theory is is that well we may lose half of our warp tour crowd mm -hmm. but we're gonna gain five times of a walmart crowd yeah do you think there's validity in that um do you think it's a safe bet no, it's not a safe bet, but I do think that there is, there's good and bad because part of me loves the fact that they want to do something different, you know, because mm -hmm. yes, you can get stuck in the scene. Yes, you can put yourself in a room with low ceilings like that. That is not exaggerated. That is not a, a wife's tale. Like, yes, that will happen and your band will fail. Um, so you do need to bring something unique to the table. You know, you don't need to alienate yourself. You don't need to throw away everything that your band was about. But I feel like you do need to choose a direction and go with it. Do you get what I'm saying? You mm -hmm. can't, you can't be stuck in the middle for too long, or else you will just be um, canceled out. And and that's it's harsh, but it's true. You know, I see a lot of these up and coming bands that are super talented and they work hard, and I listen to their songs, and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, you need to do something different. You know, this doesn't, this isn't going to work. You know, like certain bands, like just because, how can I say this without? Sounding like a complete jerk. Um, okay, like All Time Low. They're great at what they do. Great friends of ours, okay? They kick ass at their style of music. Mm -hmm. But there are only so many times you can be All Time Low. Do you get what I'm saying? Like if you try, if you release music like All Time Low that's not as good, you're going to get lost because there is already an All Time Low. Do you get what I'm saying? If you try to be exactly what Fall Out Boy was, you're not going to make it because there's already fallout boy. Do you get what I'm saying? Like fallout boy was cool because you have Patrick's voice. That's super gospel, kind of mm -hmm. soulful, um, over rock music. And so if I did exactly, if the cab went exactly what fallout boy did, we wouldn't work because it's, it's people have been there. People have done that. People want something new. So that's what I think bands need to realize is yes, you do need your own thing, but at the same time, you don't need to completely be like, Forget these kids. Like these kids mean nothing. Warp tour means nothing because Warp tour is one of the best platforms you can ask for. You know, mm -hmm. you have 
thousands upon thousands of kids who are just music fans who are there to see maybe your band, maybe not your band, but if they walk by and they hear something they like, I mean, Warp Tour is probably the, the biggest tour we've ever done in terms of getting new fans and meeting people and being able to be diverse. But you just, you do, you, you, you don't want to get caught up in that same stereotype sound. And, and so as an artist, I do realize that. You know, The Cab, um, Whisper, I mean, Symphony Soldier is great. Whisper War, I'm proud of. But for our next record, like, do we need to pick maybe a direction and go with it? Like, yeah, sure. I'm sure we do. You know what I mean? Every band does. You can't make the same record over and over, and you can't make records that have already been made by other artists. Um, you said that after you, after you left Field by Ramen and Decadence, um, and it, you, you just kind of felt like... Uh, as you said before, like no one did anything wrong, no one's to blame. You just didn't see eye to eye in the band's future. Mm -hmm. And you go from there. And but you said something on our website in an interview uh, last year. Separation from the label definitely gave us a bigger sense of self worth. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like you had you were insecure. There was like an insecurity and a self doubt prior to that. And that once you kind of got on your own and you're working with with John Feldman and you're you know you're working on the follow up record, um, like something changed for you. Like was it just because like now you were in control and you could control? Um, it's what? a it's a control thing, but it's also a, like, if you want something, you can't expect it to come to you. And not that we were ever, yeah, we were never divas or prissy, or we never expected success to come to us. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, um, you just think that things are going to fall into place, and they don't always just fall into place. Like, maybe one in a million, like... Justin Bieber gets famous over four months. You know, he goes from being nothing to being the biggest superstar in the world. But that doesn't happen. That's like one in 10 billion. Um, if you want something, you I mean, you truly do have to work hard and you do have to do things right. And you have to get your hands dirty. And, and that's what Symphony Soldier taught us is like, we, we went out. I went out personally. I didn't have my manager do it. I didn't have a label do it. I went straight to John Feldman. And I'm like, I love your work. We would love to work with you. I was done dealing with the middleman. I wasn't going to expect my management or a new label to, to make everything happen. I was like, screw this. Like, if I want to work with Justin Timberlake, I'm going to walk up to Justin Timberlake and shake his hand and be like, I would love to work with you. Um, and that's the difference between us as a band now and us as a band five years ago is before we were like, oh, we have great people around us who that's their job, you know? And now it's like, no, we don't. We have great management and we have all of that, but we also, we are so driven and we know that it's going to take more than just a good team to make something happen. You said, you've, you've said that I have things to prove to myself. Yeah, I still do. We all have things to prove to ourselves. You know, we, I have things that I want to be, and I have, um, I'm not, I think, who I want to be yet, and I'm not where I want the band to be yet. Um, and I do want to prove a lot to myself. And I think Symphony Soldier was a huge hurdle, and it did prove a lot to me. Like, that was something that. You know, we, we are strong enough to do this on our own, and our fan base is still there. I mean, almost every single show on this tour has been sold out, and some of the rooms have been super, like, um, even like Minneapolis, you know, which there was a room was like a like one or 2,000. We were like, no way a few years ago would we ever have been able to get even 200 kids to Minneapolis. And now we're headlining and the show sells out, and, you know, it just shows that the kids are there, you know what I mean? And it's just so, it's so cool to us because we didn't know how it would be doing our own record and self-releasing it. We we didn't know if kids would care or if kids would be there or if we didn't have the Feel by Ramen stamp on our music, if kids would go to the shows because they do have such a cult. You know, Feel by Ramen fans are Feel by Ramen fans. You know, like the Academy is people love Cobra, who love Fall Out Boy, who love Panic, who love Paramore, who love The Cab because we were part of that. 
So when we left, we're like, are those kids going to be there or are we going to have no one? And it's just very awesome that the fans stayed around. Um, do you think that it's harder to be a rock band or a pop band? Because um, you've kind of straddled it. You've kind of, this is probably the poppiest bandy you've been, and it's been well, well received. Um, it's definitely hard to be a pop band, I think, because you have to walk a line of being cool yet being universally accepted. You know what I mean? Like when you're a pop band, you can't write songs for 15 year old high school kids. You know what I mean? Just them. Like when you write, when you're in a pop band, you are expected to have soccer moms love your songs and to have eight-year-olds be able to sing along to your song. You know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and as scary as that is, like it's not something that we go into thinking. Like when we write a song, we're not like, okay, like let's, uh, we have to make sure that we don't say these words. We, can, we don't do that. But at the same time, it's like we released Bad as our single, which to be honest is probably our dumbest song. And if you, you know, it's very simple. It's very, it's not overly complicated. There's not tricky wordplay. It's just a very simple song. And it's been the most well-received. And it's like, because I go home and I hear my eight-year-old brother's friends singing it. My 17-year-old sister who's a senior in high school. Her and her friends love the song. College kids love the song. I have moms, 45-year-old moms come up to me at every show saying, she'll be my bad girl. And it's, <laughs> it's pretty, you know, but it's like, wow. Like maybe, you know, simple is better, but it's also harder, you know, because there's so many politics. Like to get, to be able to get on top 40 radio and to be, Kesha and Rihanna in the power rankings like that's hard and then people don't know but it takes tons of money you know what I mean like tons of money the fact that bad went to whatever it did like 30 on top 40 or whatever it was that's insane that because we didn't we don't have millions of dollars you know what I mean like mm -hmm. we just had a song that that people liked so that to us isn't quite a number one but it's pretty damn good and we consider that a hell of a success battling the three-headed monster of the three major labels that now exist. You know what I mean? So that would to us was like, okay, we can do it. And, you know, we have had tons of labels call us and it's just, it's, it's super cool knowing that it's not, we're not dead. You know, we're, we are alive. And I think that's what this tour, if anything has proved to us is the cab is very much alive and probably more alive than we've been in a very long time. You paid for this release by yourself, like you said, and, mm -hmm. and yeah, completely out of pocket. So, now that you're kind of DIYing it, mm -hmm. right? Um, if you had the complete attention of all your fans right now, they were listening to this. Yeah. Okay. What would you say to them about how downloading affects you and the band personally? Um, you know, I'm, I'm so torn on this because as much as we would love the fans to um buy our music and to you know fans need to realize that for for do-it-yourself bands like every song download does count you know every dollar that we make does does help because we don't have a label paying for tour support we don't have a label pushing the single to radio or paying for the album um but at the same time like we understand that some people can't afford it or that some people um are going to download our music and who are we to tell people not to listen to our music to be honest as a do-it-yourself band, I think we are more happy knowing that a lot of people listen to our music, no matter how they get it. We just love that our music is getting out there. So I'm not telling people to go download them. You know, I'm not being like, oh, 
you can download our music for free, like go illegally download it because like obviously we hope and we pray and we wish that people buy our music to help support us. If they believe in us, they will. But at the same time, I know that sometimes my friends email me albums and if I love it, I buy it every time. And if I don't like it, I probably don't buy it. So um, as a band, I guess it's our job to put out amazing music so that when kids do hear it, even if it's on a mixtape or even if it's legally downloaded, when they hear it, they're going to want to buy the record. You know, they're going to want to come to the show and pay the $10 for our album. So I believe that if you do put out good enough music, that people will buy it. And if you put out bad music, they probably won't buy it. They'll probably illegally download it, listen to it once, be like, this isn't for me, you know? So I, I guess I put the weight and the pressure on my shoulders as to write good music and that'll come. Second song, second song break, two songs, but it's by you guys. Okay. First song, song that is most misunderstood <clears throat> by fans. <sighs> misunderstood. Um, Vegas Guys, Why? off our first album. Um. Ah, uh, wow. Why? I don't know. I just know, um, the the spot that I was in while writing it. Um, it's kind of a sad song. People think it's um a love song, and people listen to it and they say that when they're down, the song makes them feel better, and that makes me so happy. And um, I guess the song does have a hopeful mood to it, but it's a very sad song. You know, Vegas Skies is kind of about losing someone and just telling them that you're pretty much heartbroken that they're not going to be around but that you'll wait for them and that they mean enough to you that whether it takes a day or a hundred years like you'll still be there um so a lot of people think that it's like this love song and it is it is like a love song to a girl and it is like i love you so much that this is what i'm going to do for you but at the same time like when i wrote that song my heart was was broken mm. um and a lot of people don't realize that and then the song off the new record that you're the proudest of. Oh, wow. Um, probably Living Louder. I think I was so um, proud of myself for not writing a song about sex or love <laughs> that I could <laughs> write a song that was just a good life song um, about appreciating the things around me. I was like, wow, we actually have a, uh, a song that's not about a girl. This is pretty awesome. <laughs> Um, and it's, it's gotten such a good response. Like, I can't tell you how many times a night I write out lyrics to that song. Um, tonight we haven't even, I've been, I was at the venue for 20 minutes and I wrote three lyrics, um, to get tattooed for that song. So, wow. um, hopefully I'll be writing more of those in the future because fans really have responded to that song and live it's, it's amazing. And in return, it's made us love the song that much more. It's like the alcohol making my head spin The sand is a run, room is a bottle Keeping me hopeless till I wake tomorrow And if tonight ever makes a difference The way that I feel, the way that I'll remember it I'll take this down until the glass remains to Vegas guys so why don't I make one more wrong turn tonight so say goodbye 
I'm fighting harder and loving stronger tonight. Baby, I'm I've always kind of found that there, especially with the with the multiply multiplication of fan run webzines now out there, which is beautiful. We have a whole new generation of fanzines online. That the standard road questions get asked a lot, and a lot, <laughs> and a lot. So I'm going to Definitely. hit you up with as many. But I'm gonna throw some curveballs in here too of some of the standards, so you can officially say them, and then nobody has to ask you them ever again. Even though they will, they'll still ask them well. every time. <laughs> they always do. <laughs> I'm a Sagittarius. But... I'm optimistic. Okay. Okay. okay, here we go. Favorite color? Green. Favorite movie? Oh, uh, comedy, Anchorman. Favorite place to recharge? And I'm going to give you the categories. Oceans, mountains, grasslands, desert, forests, suburbia, metropolitan cities. Categories again: oceans, <laughs> mountains, um, grasslands, probably uh, desert, like forests. forests. Like my dad lives by the redwoods, so when I go visit my dad and I can go in the redwoods and just kind of hang, I, I bet you most people say beaches. I, I, that's what I would think, but no, I think forests. Favorite hair color of a mate. This is why I know these are supposed to be short answers, but okay, I, I am a total brunette guy like my if i could have my dream girl she would have dark hair light green or blue eyes yet every single girl that i fall for or that i date are always blondes every time but it's the exact opposite it's the biggest roots in you <laughs> it's the exact opposite of my type you know and it's just so wild to me and, and marshall um is the exact opposite his type is the blonde hair blue eye just typical right beauty Yet every single one of his girlfriends have been my type, have been brown hair, light eyes. We literally flop and our tastes are, it's just the weirdest thing. It's this weird phenomenon. There, there, yeah, there, there's a beginning of a porn in this someplace. Yeah. I think. <laughs> Favorite country in the world? Oh, Italy. That I've been to, Italy. Why? There's something just so uh, magical about the history. You know, being from Vegas, which the city is less than 100 years old, I think just going places to where um, just the cobblestone streets and, and just the thousands and thousands and thousands of, of years of history and the culture and all of that that I don't get in Las Vegas, the fact that I was just completely overwhelmed and rained upon in that while I was there, it was just something I'd never experienced before. Um, favorite junk food? Uh, just carne salad tacos at some Mexican food place. Actually, there's a thing called carne salad fries, which is just a bunch of fries, steak and cheese. It's amazing. Roberto's in Vegas. Favorite record of all time? Mm. 
I know it's hard to do it without your iPod. That's a very difficult one to answer without your iPod. I I know this is crazy because it's so new, but um, I guess f- this is people are gonna give me so much shit for this. Future Sex Love Sounds by Justin Timberlake really changed the way that I looked at at production and at vocal production and singing. I, I taught myself. Um, I always sang, but singing along to that record really gave me the style that I have today, like the the runs and the falsetto and that record really influenced my voice and um, I guess the way I write music. So I guess that, as crazy as that is, because it's so new. Favorite fellow musicians who you'd have in your posse? Wow. Um, if, if I could just have like <laughs> all the singers, if I could have like uh, a rat pack made of like me, Timberlake, Bruno Mars, and Adam Levine, I'd be a pretty happy guy. We could just do like four-part harmonies all that'd the time. That'd be pretty lethal, actually. That'd, that'd be, be very lethal. That'd be pretty fun. Um, you like Sinatra a lot. Love um, Sinatra. Your favorite sta- favorite standard by him? So favorite song? Um, that you can actually sing, that you would sing. <laughs> I love Fly Me to the Moon, because it's just a classic. But um, I've always said that, this is kind of morbid, um, when I die... Um, I want my way to be played at my funeral. Um, and my dad has always said the same thing. So that song has a really unique way of looking back at your life. So that song, if I'm like in the emotional, like um, that kind of mood, but if I just want classic Sinatra, Fly Me to the Moon, um, or Just the Way You Look Tonight is also That's pretty amazing. One. That's a great one. Um, favorite stiff drink? Um, I like Straight Jaeger. Well, okay. I, I, because I sing and it's syrupy, it's a little thicker, it's not as harsh on my on my voice. I know I'm a baby, but favorite TV series that you probably own on DVD, like all of them. Dexter. Without it. Dexter and Modern Family. Favorite comedian? Oh classic uh of all time, uh Chris Farley. Okay. Uh favorite time period in American history that you wouldn't mind going back and living in? Oh, just that whole Sinatra, the Rat Pack period in Vegas. I would just love to be a part of that. Just the, the booming and the, the, the beginning of Las Vegas. Favorite item of clothing you'd wear every day if you could get away with it? Beanie, I do get away with it. I wear it every single day. Good point. Favorite, <laughs> this is going to get you into trouble, but <clears throat> favorite club to play in? Um, the one you always look forward to going to. There's a, I mean, there's so many. I mean, there's, there's a bunch. Um, but we... You know what theater we played the other day, which I'm going to say because it was such a good show. I, I talked about it earlier was we played the Varsity Theater in Minneapolis and they just redid the whole thing. And it's insane. It's like the most beautiful vibe, like the chandeliers that they have there. And the whole all the walls are just giant mosaics and have like plates and forks. And it's just the coolest venue. It's always nice when it's not just four walls. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even though places like the Boston House of Blues are amazing because the lighting and the sound's great. When you can play a venue that just has vibe and character those are those are my favorites your favorite sin sin (laughs) um oh man i don't know well i mean sin your 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 decadence that you want people that you would want people to even be allowed to know about Mm. Uh, i guess my I, i don't know if it's a sin but uh just my flirtatiousness, my amount of, <laughs> I don't even know. I, I mean, is that a sin? I don't know. I guess it's a, a sin in, in certain um, situations, but 
I have a really bad mouth sometimes, and I never did in high school. I had, I was so good. Like, like I said, I was like a super top student, and then I joined a band and toured with dudes all the time. And I, I've been trying to control. I try not to cuss on stage, but lately it's just been it just comes out, and I gotta gotta quit. Um, favorite tour bus bed, upper bunk or lower bunk or middle bunk? Middle bunk. Middle bunk. Yeah. Why middle bunk? Um, the top's too high. I don't want if like we shake. I don't want to fall out. Um, the bottom, you're always by people's feet, and I don't want to have to like lay on the floor to get in the bunk. So the middle is just kind of like right in between. I just kind of like get to roll right into bed. Favorite phone app? Ooh. Um, wow. I love. I live around me. As simple as that is, because yeah. we're, I tour so much. I don't know the cities very well. So if I could just you know, hit around me and if I want shopping or if I want restaurants, everything that's within a certain distance just pops up. Favorite time of year? Sp spring or fall. Hate summer and winter. Favorite time, favorite type of animal? A, a lion and a manatee. <laughs> <laughs> I swam with manatees in Cancun and they just became my favorite. They were so awesome. Favorite piece of rock and roll memorabilia that you now own? Oh, just all the stuff I collected as a kid. I mean, I have... Um, Davey Havoc signed Drumhead. I was obsessed with AFI as a kid. They were seeing them live changed my life. Um, I have a piece of a, you know, you know what piece? I'm gonna take a, one second to talk about this. I was a kid. I went to a show all by myself. I was alone. I was in the back corner, and a guy came up to me, and it was super dark, so I couldn't really see his face. And he goes, "Do you like who you here for?" And I said, I "Said Avenge Sevenfold," and he goes, "Uh." Because I listen to everything. I, I've never been the type to listen to one type of music. And uh, he goes, oh, really? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you by yourself? I'm like, yeah. You know, none of my friends wanted to come. Just kind of took a taxi here on my own. And he's like, I'm like, I saved up my allowance. He goes, that's awesome. And uh, he came back 20 minutes later. And uh, he gave me a backstage pass. He gave me um, his towel, two drumsticks, a huge drum head signed by all the band. And um, it was uh, the Rev who wow. later passed away. And... That completely just devastated me. And it's not even my type of genre of music, but um, I was so touched by how cool and how good of a dude he was to me that night because, like, a lot of band members, they don't care about the random kid, you know, 13-year-old in the back corner. And, um, you know, those kind of moments, just kids remember that, you know, and I, I try to keep that in consideration when I meet fans. But um, I just think him giving me all of that was just so cool of him, just so thoughtful and... Um, just hearing about the news years later just literally just broke me down, man. Favorite phrase to say? Um, like, is there a phrase everybody knows that you say, like the band, it's like an inside <clears throat> thing where like, oh, uh, you know. I get, I've been getting a lot of crap lately because I've been saying st stupid a lot. So like, if something's awesome, I'm like, God, that's so, that is stupid good. Or I'll be like, Dude, I, I'm so excited to go to Italy. It's stupid. And they're just like, why do you say that? And I don't know where I got it from. I definitely got it from someone or somewhere, but I don't know. But, and I say dumb or the same thing. Like, that's dumb. It, I'm so happy it's dumb. And I hate it. And uh, I'll work on uh, getting it out of my, my system. <laughs> I'm giving you a complex. <laughs> You're going to be in therapy by tomorrow. I know. Favorite lyric that you sing and what it means to you? Um... Angel with the shotgun. There's a lyric in the chorus. Um, I want to live, not just survive. And um, I live by that because just breathing and having a heartbeat doesn't mean that you're you're living life. You know, I believe that you shouldn't um, put things off and say, "Ah, oh, I have the rest of my life to do this." Because 
you're, you have the rest of your life if you live to be the average of what, like 78. But if you, you don't know if you're going to die tomorrow or if you're going to live to be 25. So it's like, I want to live, not just survive means like, while you are alive, do things that make you feel alive and, and do things that are going to make you happy and um, just live life to the fullest, I guess, in other words. Okay. So that was a lightning round. Um, so here's the last question. I made you. it not lightning though, huh? It was, no, it was good. Like, it was actually great. Like an good. electrical charge. <laughs> It's, it's good. It's like a like like a solar flare, and, and our phones are shorted out. So here we go. It's ten years from now. You have a son or a daughter. Uh-huh. You're sitting on a front porch. Totally. Got them on your knee, right? <laughs> and they're starting to under. They're starting. To, you guys are starting to have that moment where you can like uh, that that father child kind of like bonding moment. Okay. What would you say to them about the lessons of life, considering um, everything you've. As, as of right now, at least, that you've been through. What would you want them to know about life? That it doesn't matter what, how anyone else wants to live or how anyone else or who anyone else wants you to be, that they can be whoever they want. You know, if they want to be an artist, um, if they want to paint, um, if they want to be the awkward kid at school who wears two different colored shoes, um, or if they want to be the president of the United States, you know, that they, they can be that. And that they can be 100% okay with who they are. And if they want to travel the world and see the world, they can do that. It's, it's okay. You know, if, if, um, if they're fine with, with staying home and, like I said, just drawing, like, that's perfectly fine. You know, I think there's so much pressure put on people today. You have to be this. Um, you have to reach this level of, of, of life or you're not successful. And I don't – I believe that set success is – is a mindset and success is something that should be found in yourself, not in something that um, the world or people around you, you know, they give you that, that, that doesn't matter um, that they shouldn't, they should, you know, value whether what they believe in and not what others believe in. My friend, you did wonderful. We finally did this. I know this is great. This is great. It's better than the uh, typical interview. I loved it. <laughs> I'll do this anytime, man. Well, anytime we're in Cleveland. Well, hopefully they'll never ask you all these other little lightning round questions again. <laughs> they will. I wish you the best of luck, especially with what you're doing, and 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 uh, and I hope that we get you back on here soon enough, and yeah, I will get another seven pages of questions for you. Thank so. you. I, I really do appreciate it. It was a great time. AP podcasts are recorded at Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, a New York City quality studio at Cleveland Prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, go to www.altpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. Post-production assistance from Rob Tenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is all my fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com slash Mike Shea AP. That's S-H-E-A like the stadium, AP.